My name is Philip Baird, and thank you for tuning in to Pod 22. On this week's episode, I have the pleasure of welcoming Iris Vermischer. She's the Business Development Director of Travel at Kumut. Iris is such a cool ambassador for tourism, but also for the outdoors. Born in Austria, her love for nature comes in part from her dad, who was an avid mountain guide. I've spoken to her many times now, and every time we talk, I find myself super energized and longing to go on another one of my outdoor adventures. After seven wonderful years at the Austrian National Tourist Office, Iris joined Kumut in 2016. Kumut is an outdoor route planning app that has experienced massive growth over the last couple of years. It went from 2.7 million registered users in 2016 to over 16 million today at the time of this recording. During this episode, we'll talk about the user-centric approach Kumut adopted early on, and now they've been able to satisfy the needs of all different types of outdoor enthusiasts fast-paced road biker to the occasional sightseeing hiker. Oh yeah, and one more thing. Yes was kind enough to explain to me the origins of the company name. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, I'm joined today by Iris from Kumut. Iris, thank you so much for coming on the pod. How are you doing? Hi, I'm fine. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, where, where are you located right now? Uh, currently, I'm sitting in my flat in Berlin, as the travel restrictions are quite hard now. So I'm enjoying the grey and yeah, not so sunny winter in Berlin. <laughs> nice. Are you are you uh, more on the west side or the east side of, uh, of Berlin? Uh, more in on the east side, so uh, directly at the river Spree, um, if you might, yeah, if you know the name, and yeah. it's it's super super nice. Um, but yeah, I have to I have to admit I miss the mountains and the snow. Yeah. I think that's uh, perfectly reasonable, especially given your your nationality. Which brings me to sort of a, the next question: uh, Where, for people who don't know you, where did you uh, where did you grow up, and where are you from? Actually, I grew up in Austria. So um, there is a little town called Traun. It's not really famous, but it's in the in the north of Austria. So I'm definitely more the, the small village um, type. And normally, I have to say, I really hate cities, but it's super strange. I, I totally fell in love with Berlin and, and the people, and it's, it's super cool here. But um, yeah, so I grew up uh, in Traun, and then I was studying in Innsbruck. So I, I'm a passionate Austrian mountain lover, I would say, yeah. I know that in our previous conversations, uh, you know, I, I got to know you a little bit more, uh, but some of that passion came, I think it was instilled a little bit by your father, even though, uh, you know, he passed on at an early age. Uh, would you mind talking a bit about your dad? Yeah, that um, that was. Um, I mean, I was pretty blessed with my dad. I would say because yeah, you have to know I have six siblings, so we are quite a big crowd of vermishers. <laughs> so and um, yeah, my mother is not outdoorsy at all. Um, she hates the outdoors. I would say, but my dad was super super um, avid mountain lover, and I would say he was definitely um, ahead of his time back then because. I mean, that, that's already more than 30 years ago, and he was always doing ski touring stuff, uh, amazing mountain trips. He was climbing a mountain before breakfast. Um, so it was super, super cool that he took us, um, like, yeah, I guess every weekend um, to the mountains and showed us um, what is nature and how you, how you act uh, in the nature. That, that was amazing. And, uh, yeah, he, he passed away when I was eight, so I guess... Um, yeah, that's for sure a bit too early, but otherwise I would have spent like the rest of my childhood and also the early days just in the mountains, I would say. Yeah, 
I believe you, you spoke about it uh, just just before, but you started uh, studying it in Innsbruck. You know, I, I've been to Innsbruck, and and it's such a beautiful university town, and and it's really right at the heart of the mountains. Is it is it sort of that time in your life that you the outdoors became important to you again? That you started doing more more things in in the mountains, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I got pretty lazy at the age of, I don't know, around 11, I would say. I was okay. really a super lazy bastard, uh, for sure. <laughs> and then I went to Innsbruck. And yeah, as you said, Innsbruck is the best mountain city you can live in because it's the perfect combination between like cultural stuff um, and mountain stuff. And so at my early years of my studies, um, I was still not really doing a lot of hiking and skiing. But then I would say like in the in the third or maybe fourth year of studying there, I realized, oh, yeah, I mean, it's like I, I jump into the bus and I'm on the skiing slope in 15 minutes. So I started to do skiing again more often. Um, I did uh, more hiking. Then I had a really good friend of mine. He's a mountain guide and he took me to some ski touring trips where I realized, oh, I really enjoy that because it's amazing that you just like are out in the nature and explore the nature and, and it's super calm and you don't have any traffic or any um, i'm also an alpine skier but sometimes the alpine skiing crowds are super noisy and and so yeah. it's, I, I really love the the ski touring mood i would say yeah I, I i totally get that like i i haven't ski toured as much as you but you know my thing is canoe camping and i, and I got into it the same way when somebody sort of showed me the way and, and I feel like it's a, you know, if you go to a lake in Canada with a lot of people, it's yeah. it's not the same experience as if you're transporting a canoe on your back and you're going oh, to a lake yeah. where there's nobody. And and it's it's such a nice activity to sort of be, you know, uh, led or, or, or you brought in by somebody. Was that sort of your, have you continued since then doing a lot of ski touring? More or less, yes, I would say. Uh, normally, I go to Austria like um, yeah during the winter time at least three to four times because normally I also have a lot of business trips. Yeah, I mean this winter is special, but normally I'm, I'm I'm meeting two of my best friends there. I know them from back from my studies, and the perfect thing is like they the one is really a mountain guide and he knows the best tours to do. And so, okay. for example, one year ago we did a, a ski touring trip uh, from New Year's Eve until the 1st of January. And that was the best start I had like in the last 10 years. Um, so wow. I think especially the, the last year was so amazing for me because it started with that ski touring trip, I would say. Okay. Are these uh, secret locations or are they, these, are, these are ones that are... Uh... Top secret. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, just going back sort of to uh, the conversation about Innsbruck, uh, I know you, you studied sort of a mixture of business and, and tourism. What, what made you want to, to study tourism particularly at the time? Why did you decide on, on that field of study? When I was in school, there was already a focus on like the tourism hotel um, sector, mm -hmm. and I had to do I had to do one internship for three months uh, at the age of sixteen, seventeen, around, okay. and I did that in Carinthia, that's in the south of Austria, um, at a really famous lake. Uh, it's called Wörthersee Lake. lake okay. uh, anyways, I, I had a really really good time there, and I was working there for three months and really enjoyed it. And what I realized there that tourism service or product is a really nice one because people 
really enjoyed to go, to go on holidays and, and spend a really nice weekend on the lake or in the mountains or wherever. And so when I was was finished with my school, I was thinking, okay, hmm, what's the next step? I, as so many people didn't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized, yeah, okay, um, uh, I had a lot of fun with my with my tourism focus in the school. Uh, maybe there is something I could I could study there. And my brother back then already studied in Innsbruck. He did uh, medicine. And then a friend of mine, she studied already the same like international business uh, with a tourism focus. And then I just said like, yeah, maybe let's try that and, and move to Innsbruck. It's not not the worst thing to do. <laughs> especially for me, it was clear that I, 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 I mean, not traveling the world. For me, it was back then enough like to at least go outside of my of my hometown and then get to know Austria and some some other cities and so yeah so that was that was the reason and then I, I started with my studies and I realized okay um, of course some parts of the studies as always you don't really like but most of it was really really super interesting and then I also took the focus on tourism during my studies yeah. Mm. When you when you graduated, I think it was I think you did a master's as well. If if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, what kind of jobs were you looking at when you you were about to to finish your master's? It was super interesting because um, I I always knew I never wanted to work for I don't know how should I say a washing powder um, company. So I always knew I, I want to really have a really good brand and a really good product. Mm-hmm. And back in my in my studies, I had a lot of. People who had the idea of working for the Austrian National Tourist Office mm-hmm. because it was like it was the yeah it's the National Tourist Office they have a strong brand when you're a student you think like oh my god that's the best thing to do and you really try hard to achieve that and so I always had in mind to work for them or my, my second option would have been like to work for the for the Tyrol Tourism Board so because they in my mind, even have the stronger brand, maybe mm-hmm. because Tyrol is everywhere. You might know it from the from the stickers on the on the cars. <laughs> oh yeah, my, my mother-in-law, who I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure is is watching right now. She has one on her car here in the in in Canada. And uh, but you know, uh, to her defense, Tyrol is just a magnificent, beautiful place. And it and is. I if I was from there, I too would put probably put a bumper sticker on my car. So yeah. yeah. I also have one, really. (laughs) I did not know that. That's great to know. I think you land an internship at uh, the Austrian National Tourist Office um, to start things off. Um, Was it, I think it was in Copenhagen, is that right? Exactly. So my plan was um, I had to finish like my my master thesis. I just had to do some correction stuff. And then I said like, okay, maybe use the time to do an internship and maybe get one foot inside the inside the uh inside the door of the company and yeah that that was successful and they took me as an intern in Copenhagen mm-hmm. and I was extremely lucky because I had the best boss um so Bo if you hear that uh, I really <laughs> love you but I also I had the best boss plus the combination um that the the marketing manager back then she left and the new marketing manager was coming two months later so they had to like kind of fill this gap, um, and therefore I got more responsibilities than a normal intern. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then they were responsible for the whole Scandinavian market and the Baltic markets. Mm-hmm. 
And so for me, it was amazing because I had to do from PR and media work to marketing campaigns to uh, tra translation work to just administration stuff, sales stuff. I did nearly everything there. And I learned so much um, during these three months mm -hmm. um, that I came back to Austria. And then I was like, yeah, okay, I'm finished now with my studies. And I wrote to the HR office of the Austrian National Tourist Office and just said like, yeah, it was amazing in Copenhagen. And I finished my studies. And just in case you have some open vac uh, vacancies, then just drop me a line. Mm -hmm. And I think 10 days later, um, the HR uh, boss back then wrote me like, yeah, they have, a, they have a job in Berlin. And if I would be interested to work for the German market, I could, I could start in Berlin. And, yeah. Okay. And, and sort of what, what, what year was this when you just finished Copenhagen and then you, you had landed the Berlin uh, position? That was 2007. 2007. And, and so by then, were you already, for the ANTO, were you already doing, um, you know, social media marketing? Was it, was it going beyond the normal channels of, of creating media and distributing it through the regular channels, uh, you know, the travel guides and, and et cetera? Mm -hmm. My first job was more in the media PR. So okay. I started, um, yeah, end of 2007. Mm -hmm. and the first two years, I mainly worked for the southern German market. So I also switched then for two years um, and went to Munich. And there I uh, worked with a colleague uh, together yeah, in the, in, the, in, the, in the PR segment. And what does it mean? We mainly were in contact uh, on a daily basis with the most important journalists from Bavaria or Baden-Württemberg. Okay. Uh, we arranged press trips. Um, we um, had really some amazing trips together with them so that in the end they write amazing stories about um, Austria or the, yeah. or the regions there. I did a lot of research um, and therefore also had a lot of contact to the, to the different destinations in Austria. Mm -hmm. um, so my main focus the first two years were just media and PR with some minor exceptions. But... And these journalists and, and sort of uh, people who wrote about travel, how would you go about finding them? It's not like uh, the directory of the internet was not as easy as it is today where you can just, you know, really, really find blogs more easily. How, how did you find these people back then? Yeah, it's really, it's, it's a, a typical relation business, I would say. Yeah. Um, um, networking is, is key. And of course, I was super lucky because I already had one uh, woman working there uh, with like, I don't know, she was there for 10 years already. Okay. And she had a strong network. And what you mainly do is like, of course, you try to also get to know new journalists and you do some research and, and, and call the, call the um, offices there and try to get in contact. But mainly because you know a lot of journalists, mm -hmm. they know who is new there. And then, you know, like, ah, oh, yeah, you should call the guy from the from the BR and talk to him about this topic because he's a super avid hiker and he loves multi-day hikes. And then you just write him an email and drop a line that multi-day hikes in Tyrol are the best. And also like in, I don't know if it's also in Can in Canada, but for example, in, in the south of Germany, you have the Wiesen once a year. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, like the most maybe one of the most important networking events. So you go there with all your B2B contacts and then you just drink a lot of beer in this really, really big glasses <laughs> called Mars. <laughs> and that's, that's how you 
uh, yeah, that's how you make business in Bavaria. Often. <laughs> Great. So, so the skills you learned at the ANTO is is also uh, how to how to consume beer uh, and and create business contacts. That's that's awesome. That's uh, yeah, for sure. Cool. <laughs> I'm gonna take a little break and share you. So again, my my partner is is half Austrian, and uh, she was a member of the um, Austrian ski club of Montreal. It's called Ascom, and they had a little poster at their chalet in the eastern townships, and it, it kind of looks like this and. Ooh, you know, yes. it, it, I think it, it really summarizes a bit the, the, the general mood and, and just, you know, <laughs> yeah, how, how happy people are, you know, like I, yeah. I'm looking at this right now and it, there's like different drinks, everybody's having a grand old time. Yeah. Was, was, was some of these trips sort of that, that kind of was the mood you were, you were in the mountains and, and, and it's just like the fresh air skiing and, and, or even just hiking, you know. Uh, I think I think Innsbruck is is it's the mountains no matter what the season right it's yeah. it doesn't matter it's even if you're not a skier you're in the mountains yeah yeah, yeah and also like you said like you're looking at the picture and you really feel the mood um, the yeah. people are in and it's it's back then with with the media work what we did is, is uh, exactly that so we invited journalists mm-hmm. that they experience this mood really and they they are super excited about it and they just they 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 don't have a chance to they just have to write about it because they can't wait to tell their readers. Mm-hmm. And I think that business didn't really change the last couple of years, I would say. I mean, all the years ago, uh, we already said like, ah, yeah, okay, maybe group trips for the press. It's it's maybe, ah, okay, the times are over. Maybe mm-hmm. we, we should search for other strategies. Um, right now, I mean, group trips for media, they decline but still there are some and you you focus more on, on telling telling um, the stories to just maybe one journalist and the second one gets another story. So you mm-hmm. make like smaller group trips or just individual journalist trips. Yeah. But the thing is like to transport this message that didn't change in my mind. It's invite yeah. the people to come to your country and yeah. And, they, they and it's, it's so memorable and so unique, right? There's yeah. no, there's the, and then, and then obviously the words come out afterwards, but it, it doesn't, it can't even transpose what, what really they yeah. felt. And even this picture, you know, it's just a picture, but I, yeah. I feel this like, you know, this joyness of Rosa, of or whatever. And, and, yeah. you know, it's, it's quite, it's quite cool. So, you know, so you spent, I think, what's it, seven years at, at the Austrian National Tourist Office? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then, and so now we're, what what we what year are we now when uh, when you start looking at at uh, you start doing a, a change of scenery? Yeah, I was working there for seven years, and 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 back later I had some different positions there. So I was um, as I was in contact a lot with the tourism destinations and and the net the, the partners there. I switched like to more the key accounting side um, and also did some controlling. Um, that was just like I earned that part from my ex boss. Um, so I had different positions and I was super lucky and I, I thought like yeah okay I could stay there forever because it's a really good, cool company mm-hmm. and you also have a lot of amazing international opportunities mm-hmm. but on the other hand as I said it was my first job after the studies so I realized okay yeah it's an amazing company but I still want to see more or experience more mm-hmm. so I was like yeah um, okay let's let's take a cut here and then I did something completely different um, that was in the, uh, I quoted my job in the end of 2014. And then I applied for a job at the German Red Cross to do corporate relations. 
because I thought like, yeah, let's let's do something completely different. Um, of course, use all my my business experience. Um, mm-hmm. and, but yeah, that, that was also really an amazing year. So I learned a lot there. It was completely different, but still a product where I'm like totally burning for the product because they do some amazing work. Yeah. And it's also an international organization. So yeah, that was just one year in between where I was completely like out of the tourism sector, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it um, then I was like, okay, um, will I stay there or will what is the next step then? Because it was a position for parental leave for one year. And then I just saw by yeah by accident uh, like the Komoot is searching, um, and I knew the product already before. Mm-hmm. So I was I was cycling through uh, like from Berlin um, to. It wasn't Wannsee, but some lake in the west of Berlin. And back then, I was cycling with Google Maps. And then um, the way the way to the lake, it was quite shitty, and it was super. There were traffic jams, and it wasn't really nice for cyclists. And then the friend of mine, she was back then like searching for other options. She found uh, Komoot, so we took Komoot for the way back. So since then, I already used the product, and therefore I knew. Ah, okay, um, Komoot is searching. Ah, yeah, okay, maybe maybe I apply for that job. <laughs> Yeah, I, and you, you answered two questions already. I was like, what was your first experience with Kumut? Thank you so much for talking about that. And um, before we even get into the, the product, and there's so much I want to talk about, we're, first questions first, because there's there's not that much information on the web on this, but what where does the name Kumut come from? That's a really, really good question. And I think <laughs> the story is not really known. Um, so you have to know that the founders, there are six founders, and they come from a region called Klein Walsertal. So that's mm-hmm. in like Austria, uh, border Germany. And um, Komoot in, in the Austrian language means it's super easy to use. So it's, it's, it can be a tool. It can be also a, a, a situation where you, you are in. And like, I would also say Komoot. I'm coming from Upper Austria. I would write it in a different way. Mm-hmm. But I totally get, of, uh, of course, what the sense is. So it's just like an easy to use tool um, to make it super easy to go outdoors and explore explore the nature the nature yeah and and so you joined uh, Kumut in 2016 uh, how many employees were you back then and and what was uh, what was the company like uh, at the time yeah not completely different but yeah definitely different because yeah. I think I was I was an employee number 22 or 21 when I remember correctly now we are 70 Wow. And back then we uh, haven't been a remote company. So meaning we had a headquarter in Potsdam. Mm-hmm. Um, that's around 40K from Berlin. And so we spent two days per week in Potsdam in the headquarter and the rest of the week in the co-working space in Berlin. Okay. And of course, everybody of us was from Berlin or Potsdam. And then, yeah, there were different reasons, but mainly the founders were thinking about, okay, I mean, as a pretty young startup or grown-up startup, I would say, you need the best developers. Um, and it's pretty hard to convince the best developers from all over the world that they have to move to Potsdam because it's nice, but it's not really yeah. that nice. So why not uh, open it up to a, to a remote setup so mm-hmm. that everybody can work from wherever you want? And also like this, the second reason 
I guess, was that um, especially if you then have the best people working for your product or your company, and for example, the family situation changes, that whatever your husband um, have have to move to another country or you want to move back because you have old parents or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't make sense to lose these people just because they have to move. And that was also another reason why they decided beginning of uh, 2017, so it was yeah in early January, I guess, that we switched to a complete remote setup. Mm -hmm. And that means that we are now working from, um, I think, 23 countries spread all over Europe. Wow. And really from like people working in the city like Berlin, like me, but also like uh, people working like completely in the rural areas or we have a quite new colleague working in Norway and I always look at his tours and I'm really, really, yeah, it looks so amazing. <laughs> you want to go work there? <laughs> yeah, I have to visit him soon, I guess. I, I read a Medium article from 2017, so that would have a year after you joined, and um, it was from your uh, one of the founders, Marcus Heilemann, and he said it was I think it was entitled "How We Estimate Mobile Reach at Kumut," and in the article he spoke about something like a hundred percent growth month over month for six months in that year was was sort of that that start when you you got into you know. To today, was it was it or even the first years were was it a lot of growth? Was there a lot more users coming in, and was it very country specific, like Germany and Austria, or was it you know throughout Europe? Back then, it was definitely more um, German speaking country specific. Um, okay. So we uh, organically organically grew um, a lot, mainly in the Dach market. So Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. But we we changed that a lot that game because um, especially the last two years we invested a lot in the internationalization, meaning that um, from the beginning on, Kumut um, always talked German and English, and we changed that. And now we have six languages. So um, also a, a French speaking user can really um, take the app and and enjoy the whole offline turn-by-turn -turn navigation in French mm. or the Italian user or the Spanish user. So I think it was quite a game changer and um, we not just did the, the not just did the translation uh, copy work. Mm -hmm. It's also that we really invested a lot in in these markets. And when I talk about these markets, we, we started back then with UK mm -hmm. uh, and then the last one to two years, uh, we really invested a lot in Italy, Spain, France, uh, and the Benelux markets. Okay. And especially what you can see now that um, uh, on over, overall, we have growth rates of 170%. So even, wow, bigger. even increased. And what is really interesting there is, of course, that also, and luckily that also these markets where we invested a lot, that the growth rates are exploding and yeah. i think it's, it's there are two reasons i mean the one is that we really did a good job here and then really built up the communities in the new markets did the translation stuff um and invested heavily in the product mm -hmm. and i think we got definitely a boost um especially the last yeah 12 months uh with with the COVID situation because then everybody was like um, searching for ways to go out and do that really in an easy way. So that was like boosting us um, again and again. Yeah. And, and 
it comes into one of my questions because what I love the most about the app is is it has like three different functionalities, and I think it's it's just it works so well in all three of them. The first one is is really plan and sort of do you know you want to go from point A to point B and and plan that 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 route. Then there's the second part which is navigate, and it has a, a integrated GPS, and, and you can really navigate it real time. And then the third part is that is that social media aspect where the best routes that are personalized for you, for your taste, if, if you're, you're going for speed, if you're going for scenic views, if you're going for more, you know, cheese stops, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever is the best yeah. thing for you, there's all this content. Was there, of, of those three parts, was there, was there one that took longer to implement that, that was more, either there's more headaches, so to speak, or, or did, did it all work out really, really well in the same time frame? It worked pretty well. I, I, I would say, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't call it social media in our case. I would call it like the... Um, or the, the user content the, is what I meant. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe this is the hardest part, I would say, because like if you if you look at Komoot and the algorithms, um, mm-hmm. the algorithms mainly create all the amazing content, then you always have to have a specific level of user content and not just the quantity is important there. It's mainly also about the quality. Yeah, of course. And so when you enter a new market, um, then it's really, really important that you have enough and really high quality content there from, from the experts, from the local experts, from the community. So the, the, the biggest issue or the, the biggest thing is here, okay, how can you build up a really, really strong community or how can you bring the already existing community um, to Komoot? Because then the algorithms uh, works extremely well and can uh, create amazing content for for the next user who is coming to Komoot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's 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 one of the one of the most challenging parts uh, with these apps. Oh, it, it really is. And, and, and thank you for, for sharing with that. Did you did you go about with establishing partnerships in some of these countries with not just uh, individuals, but with people who knew sort of the areas to sort of add this this extra content? How did how, what kind of strategies do you do in the, these expanding markets where you didn't have already an established massive user generated content that was that was good and it was already working with the algorithms? Yeah, uh, of course, partnerships are one one part. Um, so uh, we are really lucky that the, the App Store and the Google Play Store, mm-hmm. they, they are featuring us uh, constantly. So okay. that brings us really, really um, a good amount of organic growth, all the new markets. Okay. And also like the, I would main, maybe call it like the technical partnerships. So we have, we have really, really amazing partnerships, for example, with um, Apple or Samsung. Yeah, or Bosch. I think because TomTom is another one. Is that possible? TomTom, well, not that I know of. Okay, <laughs> sorry. But but, 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 but there's yeah. these technical partnerships that exactly. That really, yeah. So, yeah. so, and that helps, of course, a lot because the thing is that we are building the best uh, product for the user, mm-hmm. and if the user is um, using Komoot, if he can use it on his smartwatch, so on his Apple Watch or in his Samsung Watch. And he can also use it um, on his Bosch e-bike or the Yamaha mm-hmm. e-bike. And he can also use it on his Garmin and his Wahoo. Then, of course, um, that's that's the perfect case because then the user loves the product even more. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then um, the, the, the technical uh, cooperation partner is also bringing us um, new users to, to the platform. 
And one one really, really, um, um, yeah, really nice case from the last couple of months, or one of my favorite ones, is that for for example, our partner Polar, they yeah. recommended um, Komoot um, as as their favorite route planning partner, and yeah. they recommended that to every user. I, I got the email. I got oh, yeah. the email. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got the email. It was a very big surprise too. I never receive any emails from them, and then out of the blue, it was an email about you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's of course that's the that's the best thing what can happen also for us because they know. I mean, they mainly know that we have the best technical solution. Mm. So they say like, "Hey, you have the best technical solution. Let's implement it." Uh, and then um, they they really appreciate. What, what the app does, uh, the platform does, and you can really combine it uh, with all your equipment and all your gears. Yeah, that's such a great vote of confidence. That's awesome. I mean, I was really ecstatic for, for, for you when I saw that, and I think I communicated it to you at the time. I have a, another, you know, more difficult question, I suppose, but, you know, part of the problem of, of creating apps, especially in the travel industry, is, is monetization. Kumut kind of took a, a freemium and then a, a paid model was there any doubts when you, when you guys first started with that and that that it might not be feasible until you arrived at that point and be like okay now we are good now it's 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 going to be okay mm, i think um the, the the key to is success i mean that of course started earlier than i uh, i was coming um mm -hmm. but uh, what the founders really did in a brilliant way is that they always had a super super clear strategy mm -hmm. and a really super clear focus and the focus was also uh, always really user-centric, meaning mm -hmm. that they always said like, they focus on the B2C market, they want to build the best product for the user, no matter what, because they really believed um, that uh, if the users are loving the product, then we can definitely grow like like hell. And then at the later stage, we uh, beca become attractive, for example, for B2B partners. Um, that's the part what I'm doing. And this strategy worked out perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I think um, with the with the freemium model, what they also did like, they not just built up the product in a way that the, the content is super easily consumable. Mm -hmm. um, it was also super easy like to purchase different products. So you, you purchase offline maps at Kumut and it's a one-time payment. Mm -hmm. And like it's super easy if you say like, hey, I'm I'm just using offline maps in my small region then you buy the offline maps for three um, euro 90 and then you are fine forever. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you learn, if you travel a lot and if you use Komoot like um, on holidays or like, yeah, um, on, on, on in different travels. countries, yeah. Exactly, yeah. then most of them like buy the world package for 30 bucks um, and that's also a one-time payment. So it's really like the entrance burden is super, super low, I guess. And mm -hmm. then because because the product is so nice and the, the users love it, yeah, they, they easily buy the, the the offline maps then. And yeah, one and a half year ago we built like we built a, a completely new product. That's the subscription um, model with the yeah. premium product. And what we did there was also pretty smart, I guess. So we we invested definitely yeah, two years in developing six completely new features. Wow. So we didn't cut off uh, cut off old features and said like, yeah, now you have to pay for it on a yearly basis. Yeah. Uh, we really invested a lot of time and built up 
six new features for those Komodo users who really want to go further. And then um, they can buy this new premium product for 60 euro a year. And um, this perfectly worked out pretty well. And what we also do is like we invest like always in, in, in the whole product and, and we, we develop like more features or uh, improvements for, for the normal, like the overall Komoot product, but also like um, currently for the, for the premium product. Right. And, and that's really cool because also the people who purchase just the maps from, you know, that one-time purchase, they still get access to the user content that's all still yeah. updated with algorithms for, for them specifically. So it's not like it's a, it's, you bought the map and that's it. It's, it's still being improved even after that yeah. one-time buy. That's, that's yeah. a, a really cool, uh, it's a really cool feature. Going a bit more into the, the discussion of the future, I, I feel like the, the story of success of, of Kumut is, is also the, the growing popularity of, of bicycle touring, especially in Europe. Do you think this this type of tourism is is can be exported outside of Europe uh, easily? Like you know the Americas, bike, the bicycle touring here in Quebec is, is very popular, but I, I feel like outside of our province, it's it's not as big of a thing. Do you, do you feel like that can be exported one day? Yeah, for sure. Um, that's definitely also. Um, so if you look at our roadmap for especially this year or the upcoming two years, yeah, that sounds like you maybe um, took a look in our. Roadmap or strategy map? So, I didn't. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> no, but it is a it, it is a big topic, and um, I would say definitely not just within Europe. Mm -hmm. So what what's on our focus for this year is definitely again like to invest heavily in the product mm -hmm. and to invest heavily also here in yeah the bike packing community because also what we see um, especially since last year that these like um, these Easy, easy, planable outdoor adventures and day packing trips, mm -hmm. they get like super, super prominent. Um, mm. And this, this is a trend which got definitely even more important during Corona. And I would also like say for the tourism destinations, they should be aware that this, this is a huge trend. Um, in, in my mind, I think some of them, some of them even didn't really realize that this bike packing and gravel is a huge trend they could exploit with really having some easy but really, really cool products um, mm -hmm. they, they, they sell to potential guests. But this is definitely um, one of our focuses and also not, not just like um, grow within the, the, the known markets we are currently, because there are so many more markets we, we could like con conquer. Um, so there is a there's a lot of stuff to do. Um, Yeah, that's 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 really cool. And and you know, going to that, I know that last year was was you had an explosion of of popularity and downloads. I think I remember uh, seeing on LinkedIn your CEO that that the app was now more downloaded than TikTok in Germany and and you know other these other big names. Is 2021? Uh, you guys expect a big year for for Kumut as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I I would say definitely yes. I mean, we saw it last year and. Um, I would say also without Corona, we would have uh, grown like hell, but like with the, I don't know if you can call it Corona boost, but even with the Corona boost, it will be even bigger. Mm -hmm. And what we, what we currently can see is now that like people are even more, they, they want to go outside. They want to enjoy nature. They want to search for the next adventures. And most of them can't really plan it on their own because it's, 
most of the people can't really read print maps, for example, mm-hmm. or can't really use um, a Garmin or really, um, yeah. So what we make, we make it super, super easy to make the next adventure accessible. Mm-hmm. And especially with the last couple of months thing that people are really like, they, they, they just search for the next outdoor and nature adventure. Mm-hmm. And this, this boom will be even more um, yeah, important. And I think what is even more important for tourism destinations to, to have in mind is that, yeah, in Germany, you have this word called Besucherlenkung, um, which means that you really channel your uh, potential new guests. Because what we especially saw the last couple of uh, weeks and months that we have at, at some hotspots or touristic hotspots, they they got overwhelmed, like and super crowded. So yeah. it's really really important to also show the guests, like, okay, this is this is our product. We have this and these topics. Have you checked out these and these tracks? Um, so really, besides the the known highlights. Mm-hmm. Really show the, the potential guests what, what else do you have on the plate and really, really yeah, broaden this v- v- variety of topics, I would say. This goes, and now I'm going to jump into the more personal questions. I know you're, you're a, a big outdoors person and, and you do a lot of bi- uh, bicycling and, and, and skiing. What are your favorite items when you go on these touring trips or, or big long trips uh, with, with your bike? Do you have anything that you could share? Yes. So um, um, I especially love my gravel bike. Um, I bought it, I don't know, four years ago, I think now. Okay. And it's uh, that's the best. So for everybody who is into road cycling, but also enjoys like going into the woods from time yep. to time, and you can mix that, I, I would always highly recommend buy a gravel bicycle. Okay. I was pretty lucky. I got it off, uh, like 40% off. Um, and I love to... To, to ride in the woods and then sometimes also do some asphalt stuff. So it's amazing. Nice. That, that's, that's my favorite. And um, yeah. That's, that's, it's, I'm convinced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, some of the, on the question of like when you started versus today, you know, there's so much growth in, in the tech sector. Were there tools that you use today that you wish that you had back in 2016 that you you first started with Kumut when you either know either if it's reach outs to build these B2B partnerships or you know these other things are you still very reliant on email for example or do you use other tools and and what have you been using a little bit more today versus when you first started from the tools perspective what directly pops up in my mind is like that um, especially also our our feed the inspiration feed on Komoot, it changed a lot. So um, you might not know the the feed from back then, um, but it was more like, it was quite flexible, but it was more or less also quite static feed. And for example, with my B2B partnerships back then, we had to do quite a lot of manual work to really like target um, the correct users and to uh, the right time. And now... I mean, we invested so heavily in the product to make it even better for the users. Uh-huh. But uh, like, um, it's it's it, it also got even better for the B two B partners because now the feed logic is so smart and even gets smarter and smarter each month. That I don't have to do any manual stuff when I say like, yeah, I have a campaign for whatever um, this in this period of time. 
I just put it in the back end and the algorithm is more or less doing everything on their uh, on its own. Wow. And that's pretty magic, especially for me, because I mean, I'm a business marketing person and I'm definitely not a developer. So for me, this stuff is super, super cool and always pretty magic. Definitely looking forward to even more because I mean, as I said, we invest in the product like, yeah. Uh, we invest there a lot yeah i'm super excited uh, like yeah how will the feed look like in four years because right i'm pretty sure it will not stay like this for the for the upcoming four years so this this discovery tool is actually really really good for the user now it's that's that's really cool it's very interesting it's, it's also like talking about gravel before um yeah what, what i especially like about the feed is like now i scroll through the feed yeah. And then, for example, the algorithm is saying like, hey, by the way, this user, he did a gravel tour around your uh. around your area. And I, I have no clue about this user, um, but I see his amazing gravel tour. And then I can follow him directly or I maybe save this route because I say like, oh, my God, yes, I don't want to plan my gravel tour on my own. I just copy paste it from this user because it looks amazing. Yeah. And this is like stuff where I'm I'm also from a private perspective. I'm always freaking out because... But that's that's definitely my recommendation. Scroll through the feed and stalk other users who do like stuff you really like. Yeah. Yeah. This this app knows you more than you know yourself. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Couple last questions. Uh, this is more on me now. Uh, but if you were in my shoes, who would you invite as a, a next guest on this this travel and experience podcast? Yeah, for me, I think the uh, what a really really interesting topic for the upcoming future is um, um, tourism and travel uh, with a focus on cities mm -hmm. because I mean corona changed the travel business a lot definitely we will come back to a kind of normality or yeah let's see but I think what is pretty pretty interesting is to look at the cities because um, um, they have even a bigger challenge in my mind because um, the business sector, so the business travel sector, is like, yeah, it's devastated, I would say, nearly. So yeah. I think I was talking to a lot of cities in the, in the last couple of months, and some of them are pretty smart and are already thinking about, okay, what could be a next potential product or strategy to really compensate um, for this loss? I think some are still in the, like, oh, my God, we have to wait and let's see phase. But I think that's... That's a really, really interesting topic to look at uh, how it will evolve and how will be how, how new products will arise. All right. I got some work to do. I'll, I'll, I'll investigate. Thank you. Thank you for the suggestion. The final question, if, if people um, want to get in touch with you to talk about uh, B2B partnerships at Kumut, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, we have, we have partner at kumut.de. Okay. And that's the easiest way because then directly pops pops up pop ups pops up in the inbox okay <laughs> uh, vielen Dank that uh, it was so great to have you uh, I'm, I'm so happy you you agreed to come uh, I, I really wanted to, to hear you and, and hear about the Kumbu journey and, and I'm so thrilled that you came in and had a chat with us thank you so so much for coming thanks for having me here <laughs> alright take care <laughs>